All right, the uh, I had a homework assignment at the end of last class. What was the homework assignment? Yeah. Well, actually, um, it was a really easy assignment, but the penalty for missing a class is enormous. So that's good. The, uh, no, the homework assignment was, um, can you think about the joy that we have in our freedom from being... Uh, uh, subjected to uh, to these things, Robert. Remember, you'd hit on that a little bit. The joy of uh, the joy of our complete lack of merit. So we just gotten to the point where we have no merit. We have no merit. Um, we went through all the dung piece of that, and we went through a more careful review on the I am nothing and why I'm nothing, why it makes sense that I'm nothing. Of course, I'm nothing. Kind of going through that, and went through a lot of scriptures on that. And we got to the point where, like, okay, I have no merit. If we can really embrace that, there's a, there's some joy in that. And Robert yelled out, one of them at the end of it was, a, there's a freedom in that. Yeah, and that was the that was the homework was, think about what are what are the what are all the ways that we should or do either one have joy in acknowledging, or in the knowledge, I should say, of our lack of merit now. Anyone ponder that over the week? It gets us off the performance treadmill. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Treadmill is a good, good word to use for that. Treadmill is a real good word to use for that. Uh, treadmill. It gets us off the treadmill. The, uh, here's a, a phrase I don't hear much anymore today. When I was a kid, you heard the phrase, the rat race. Use all the time. I don't know why you don't use that anymore. Maybe today people are so busy in the rat race they don't recognize it as a rat race anymore or something. But uh, uh, yeah, but it gets us off the treadmill. What's that? Yeah, yeah, and have the actually. <laughs> and the gerbils are watching you, going, "Wow, that looks hectic." It gets us off the treadmill. That's that's a piece of that. What other any other ways? Yeah. Right. Now. It takes the pressure off. That's from a, a deep side, taking the pressure off of qualifying for the, for the grace because we figure out that our grace is separate from me earning it. But it also takes the pressure off on more like the secular way too, of back to the treadmill. It takes that pressure off. So it takes the, 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 the pressure off from the kind of the treadmill pieces. It takes pressure off um, from the, um, the spiritual, uh, tying it to our grace, understanding our grace has nothing to do with that. There's also a, um, I would propose, I don't know about you all, for me there's a joy in the clarity along those lines of figuring out and being like, okay, now this makes sense to me. In other words, it makes more sense to me that I have no merit than trying to figure out the ways of comparing merit and how merit does figure in. And the, you know, cause the world wants us to see merit behind everything. And, of course, the world wants us to fight for our merit and defend our merit. Why? We have wars over merit, right? So it's, uh, it's really kind of going against the, 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 the trend here. Right. Failing. Right. Now, you mean, again, on the, on the spiritual side? Or, okay. Because, the, because that also, similarly, that also has a, there, that's a, a legitimate, well, I mean, it's an incorrect spiritual concern, but I mean, I see how someone has that. I used to have, have that. Um, but uh, there's a secular component to that, too, of the agony of always failing. Why we, in the secular, back to the treadmill, 
keeping up with the... Well, how do we all know that expression? Well, because there's some truth in that expression, <laughs> right? Everybody knows that. Someone, whoever the first person was that said that, uh, that was too early for that phrase to have been called viral. Today you would have called it viral. Well, yeah, and it's viral because there's, there's, there's truth in that. Right, good. The, uh, I think part of what we'll get to next week and kind of the wrap is we'll get to anxiety. The word anxiety will come up a lot. And um, I was telling someone recently, I don't think I have anxiety. If you said, are you an anxious person? I'd say, no. I'd say, do you have fears? I'd say, oh, I got fears by the trunk load. And then you'd be like, well, that's, a, that's kind of a split in hairs difference between those two. I was like, yeah, I guess it is. I hadn't thought of that. Um, n- next week we'll talk about the our contentedness. We should be absolutely fearless. We should be without fear. I'm not at all. So that's what next week's that, – that piece of this will be towards the wrap. Um, where we're going big picture is we're, we've put all these pieces together – and they kind of assemble a road that we're going down. It's a picture of kind of seeing what uh, uh, the call, the giant call that God has called us to. We've seen that one of the first obstacles to that is to getting a correct understanding of who we are. We understand then these are these huge things he's asking us to deny, and we'll get more into those tonight. Um, we figure out we have no merit, which makes more sense in this. But kind of the last piece of it is figuring out that biblically we should have no fear whatsoever. And I can say I'm not remotely achieving that. I mean, I'm failing in spades on that, but yet I can still see the road. I still see it as the next stop on the road, and it's a road that I'm grateful to be on. I can see it's the continuation of the things we've talked about. So, in other words, you may be thinking, well, why in the world would someone be... be proposing this, why would you be talking about a topic that you're saying you are completely failing in? Well, but it's on the road. It's on a path I can see uh, clearly. And I think it's the path. In other words, it's, man, that's the next big thing, or maybe even more than the next big thing, that I think that the fear component is, is actually a test of where we're at. And I think it shows that most of us fail if we have that. Now, the other part of that, just as we'll get into more of this next week, if you don't have the fear and you're thinking, man, I am fearless, and if you're thinking I'm fearless because of all the things we talked about a few weeks ago because you've got enough digits in your 401K and that's why you have no fear, well, i got news for you. That's not the fearlessness God's talking about. So, again, I don't have the answer, but I know that's not it. You know, That's not where that's supposed to come from. So that's, that's for sure. The, um, I want to tie back a little bit, wrap up on the merit uh, piece from last week. I was thinking about this week. Think about, because the merit, the merit conversation is a tough one, because you get into like, well, but, you know, we do good things. Shouldn't those count for something? And I think, the, I think the difficulty is I think it makes sense that those good things would count for something. It makes sense those good things are better than doing bad things. But I think the comparison to think about is merit versus righteousness, our righteousness. In other words, Think about our merit from God's perspective. What represents merit from God's perspective? Our righteousness. Now, when it comes to our righteousness, is there a sliding scale? Is there a, do you, are you Robert, I think you've got a 74 on righteousness, and I only got a 72, so someday I want to be <laughs> like you. Is that how righteousness works? No. 
No, that's not how that works. But it's, it's a, it's a pass-fail test. Righteousness is pass-fail, right? Either you have righteousness, you're righteous, you've been made righteous, or you don't. If you're made righteous, guess what? You didn't earn it. I mean, we, all, these are all these things we know. But just thinking about our righteousness, I think represents what we would think of as merit. I think God sees as our, our righteousness, yay or nay. And if he sees us as righteous, all the things we're thinking of that are meritous don't even, don't even figure into that. In other words, um, I've studied really hard and become the world's best, I don't know, on the blank. Guru? Guru? Oh, like a meditative guru? Like an Eastern guru? Yeah, no, no, I'm not sure how much credit I get for that. The, uh, listen, I'll, I'll change, change gears here. Um, uh, I've got a Kobe Bryant analogy coming up in a couple of minutes. The, uh, uh, I've practiced, well, let's just go with Kobe. I'm Kobe Bryant. I am Kobe Bryant. I am one of the absolute best basketball players on the planet. Is that, is that a valid merit? Well, it's not helping the human, human race, but, you know, I mean, it's a legitimate skill. I'm not going to tell Kobe Bryant he's got no talent, right? You can watch it and be like, wow, this guy's amazing. Now, from God's perspective, what's that count for? Nothing. Squat, right? It just, but it's legit. Now, it's not helping neighbors. I mean, it's not, a, it's not that kind of a thing, but it's a legitimate merit but then Kobe Bryant gets to say, you'd say it doesn't count. And you could, then you could even get into kind of the Christian side of it. You'd say, well, it doesn't count because God gave you those muscles. Yeah, but I practiced. I put in how many tens of thousands of hours you think you spent practicing as a kid. And you'd say, oh, I put in those tens of thousands of hours. No, you put those tens of thousands of hours in because it was fun when you were eight because you were better at it than anybody else you'd ever seen. And everyone told you you were rocking. Oh, yeah, that is part of, that's part of that. Okay, yeah. But still, but I studied the game. You know, that doesn't get you there. I studied the game. Well, you studied the game with the mind that God gave you. Oh, yeah, but I've got better hand-eye coordination than anyone on the planet. Okay, well, who gave you the hand? Who gave you the eye? Now, where'd that come from? So, in other words, you can peel the onions on these things, and you get it back, and our, our merit on these things just, I just don't think it, I don't think it counts for merit from God's perspective, you, however we see these things in our in our world, even when we're doing the good things, I think they're more like kids making mud pies and comparing their mud pies of, of, of whose mud pie is better. And maybe among the three-year-olds, maybe the three-year-olds on the block all think that Jimmy clearly makes the best mud pies. Well, and the parents would be like, man, I don't know. I don't understand this stuff. So that's not to take away from the, the, the doing of good deeds. It's not about that. But I'm just saying I, I think bottom line I think they don't count as merit from, from God's perspective, and merit from God's perspective is righteousness. And, of course, Zechariah makes the best example of this, like we've been talking about. Well, guess what? There's two of you. There's you in the dung coat, and there's you. There's the righteous you. The righteous you is uh, the you in the, the righteous robe that was given to you. You didn't even make your own defense because you can't defend. If you're defending yourself, you're on the wrong track. We all know that. Once you start doing that, it's like, oh, this is not gonna, this is not gonna go well. I need to be, right? I mean, you're just out all the way around. Right, you are. You're just out all the way around. One way to look at it, if we need to compartmentalize it and make it a little more logical, thinking about this. So the two things we've seen, 
regarding our merit is your choices are dung or nothing, right? Several scriptures point to dung. Several scriptures point to nothing. Just You're just nothing. It just doesn't count. I think if anything, thinking about the Zechariah analogy, maybe the dung is the old us, and once we're a follower, maybe then we are promoted to nothing. Okay? Because that would make sense regarding Zechariah. See what I'm saying? And that's So Paul's always saying, I am nothing. He who plants and he who waters is nothing, but he is this. I am nothing. And then Paul says he is his old achievements, all those things. Those were the things that were done. So maybe the point of this, maybe it's a timeline issue. Maybe it's a before and after. And the before is dung, and the after is nothing. Congratulations. Well, isn't the after that we are... Right. That's that's exactly right. That's right. It's simultaneously really something and not our something. It's exactly right. It's amazing. It's amazing. But it's like the more you talk about it, it's like, yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe that. But, But even then, apart from God, I am nothing. Okay? Apart from God, I am nothing. So, like, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's look at John 15, 5 real quick and leave it open. We'll be there a little bit, a little bit uh, later. Starting with, uh, well, I'll just start with five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he'd say, well, yeah, yeah, but I think what Jesus is talking about here is, uh, no, 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 no. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It, it's, uh, there, there are so many, there's so many nothings uh, that we see. Um, it's hard to not assume that whether it's Paul saying it or Jesus saying it, that when they say nothing, they mean nothing. It's kind of like that's that sounds to me like that's, that sounds to me like so. I just take that as meaning, uh, yeah, nothing straight up. You got. I thought of a few other um, just biblical analogies we can walk through. The um, okay, so Paul says he is nothing. Another occasion, uh, he is his old things were done. Zechariah, we talked about. What does the pot tell the potter? Does the pot tell the potter, I have merit? No. Okay, now back to the garden analogy. So let's say I'm in the garden, and God has put me in charge of five acres, and I groom that five acres to the best of my ability, and that five acres becomes beautiful. Do I get credit for that? Right, right. I'm pruning the things he's making grow. Okay? So he planted. He planted. Yeah, I planted. He he made the things he created. He made the seeds. He made the seeds. The um, on our salvation. So do I get credit for having the wisdom to come to Christ? No. Do I get credit for opening my eyes, my ears? Nope. Do I get credit for being humble enough to accept Christ? I need credit for something. Right? Yeah. There's no piece of that. There's just not. That's not part of the mix. Right? Our credit doesn't doesn't factor in and I just I think our merit on earth works the same way is that there's just no spot for our merit to go we can do things that are good but if we do things that are good as a follower then it's Christ in us doing those good things and we get no credit for them if we're doing those things and we're not uh, a follower then you're you're still covered in dung and it's a weird discussion because you're like well merit among the dung coat people, so you know, it's it, it's kind of like the old expression of you can't take it with you. 
you know, except that's always regarding stuff. But this is kind of one of those like, okay, well, that's, that's great. Take your, take your merit, put it in your backpack, and see, how, see if that backpack makes it with you to heaven. You know, like, okay, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't count. It's not going anywhere. I mean, it's... it's do I get credit for believing? Yeah, do you get credit for believing? Do you get <laughs> the... Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, right. The only complication with that, is tr- as true as that is, that I have heard people take that and then solid Christians, five minutes later, arguing about jewels in crowns up there. And you're like, oh, oh man, like, I don't know, because I, I can see, cause, and they can logically defend that. You're like, oh, man. But to like, like I'm pretty sure that's, cause, and I knew that's not what you which I'm, meant. I'm just thinking that's just one of those things I've seen people go there with that. And you're like, okay, I don't have the answers, but it's kind of another one of those. I don't know what the right answer is, but that's not the right answer, you know, with the, when you go that far with that. The, um, yeah, and that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, that's the joy. It's, 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 yeah, it's liberating. It's, uh, it's a freedom. It's, uh, it's the, in the rest, in the knowing that, like, you know, if you whiff on something tomorrow, you know, it's like, oh, all right, you know, hey, I know who, I know who I belong to, you know. Uh, I mean, it's the reason I wanted to hit that is as we go into the deny, getting a more detailed look of what it means to deny everything. The deny is really all encompassing. That's like that's on our magnitude list, right? With deny, like this is a big thing to deny, and. I think we need to understand that perspective exactly to even give us a chance of embarking on this level of denial that, we're, that I think we're called to deny, is we need to get to that point. In other words, if, if, we're not, if we're not to the point where we find rest in that and where we know confidently, like, wow, this is what matters, and that's all that matters, and that's everything, if we're not to that point, then we won't be able to deny everything that we're leaving behind. So that's why that's why I, I you know see this as kind of a road, kind of a path to be on, and that's why it's kind of step by step, kind of how you get there. Um, and we've been outlining the big magnitude words here, and uh, we're going to add a magnitude word, kind of continuing. We've mentioned these for a few weeks now. The first one we hit was obey. The next one was deny. Then we added merit. And then we figured out that the pattern here is these are, these are giant words that we, that we can figure out. None of these words are partial credit words. None of these words are words where you get a, 70, a score of 72. Either you're, either you're in obedience or you're not in obedience. Either you're, you can deny. Our, our call to deny is to deny everything, including our own life, right? Our call to obey is to obey in every way. Our understanding of our merit, similarly, on the magnitude list, is zero. I've, there's, no, there's no merit. These are, these are, there's, no, there's no possible place for partial credit to emerge in my calculation of God's view of, of, of the merit with me. There's no point for that. These are these giant magnitude words. Now, the next one, it's another magnitude word. And we're going to look at it in John 15. It's abide. And so now that we're figuring out, we understand more about who we are. We understand the level of denial we're called to. 
Um, I want to start looking at the different ways we're called to deny ourselves. And uh, John 15, in addition to saying, uh, apart from, uh, uh, apart from uh, uh, God, we can do nothing. In addition to that, it is, it is now we'll look at the vine and the branches on a, uh, the full perspective here. So there's a theme that runs through uh, John 15, and a theme is too, uh, I guess, too fancy. There's a, uh, there's a word that pops up in John 15 over and over and over again. And in a lot of translations, that word is abide. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is the NASB for John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Let's stop right there. What does, what does abide mean? To dwell. It's, um, a lot of translations take it as right remain. Even uh, the net translation, which says remain, but each of the remains, every single one of them is footnoted off to the side, and it says or reside. So back to the dwell. I think for the denial aspect, for where, where we're going with this, um, think of it as the, the, the dwelling, the residing. Um, remaining is one of those concepts. Or, I mean, it's nothing wrong with the word, and I'm sure the translators uh, used it well, but it's kind of one of those, that's not what remain means to me. Uh, I don't, to me, remain isn't reside. Uh, the, uh, but you see enough of these to say either reside um, uh, or dwell or abide. It's this concept of 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 living somewhere. Now, as we again, this is we're in this about the depth of our call. As we go through this, as we read the rest of this, think about understanding this this residing aspect. How different? How, well, how deep this residing aspect is, as opposed to. Our relationship, not as a disciple, but as a fan in the bleacher, as the fan that 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 I think Jesus is great, um, and that I go to church lots of times, um, you know. But but that it's not it's not where you reside. The uh, so just think how clear this is about the about the the use here. One thing too. Now, before I read the rest of this, every scripture is God breathed. Except for John, because John must have not been writing what God wanted him to write. John must have just run out of his vocabulary so that he felt the need to use whatever word he used over and over and over and over again. No, no. Okay, if, if, if God has put a word this many times in the same passage, I assume this is the word God wants me to understand about this passage. It's here for a reason. It's key. I need to understand it. And it's not because someone was lacking for uh, a broader vocabulary. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and is thrown away as a branch and dries up. Whoop, and cast, sorry, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says disciples and not fans. Man, that would be a lot easier if you just said fans. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I continued the rest of this for a different reason we'll get to in a few minutes. But the, uh, uh, that's the passage, that's the abide passage. So it's, it, this is where we reside. This is where we live. We live with God. We live with Jesus. They live in us. We are together. We are, we are literally attached. Okay, there's a vine and a branch. Okay? In the real world, gardens and vines and branches, what percentage of the time is the branch attached to the vine? 100. Okay? This isn't, this isn't a place you visit. This isn't a place you check in with. This isn't a place you like to go on occasion, right? This is not an acquaintance, really. This is not an acquaintance. This is intimate. It's huge. It's where you live. Now, since it's a place you live, is it a place you just happen to grow up and like? And you go like, you know, I like this place. I think I'll stay here. No, you have to move there. Okay. You reside there, but you don't get to you don't you don't just get to stay in the place in the comfort that you grew up. It requires a move. Okay, you have to move there. It requires a move, literally, right? Now the move in this case is I mean I'm ta- it's it's a it's the choice to follow Christ. That's the move, but it's a change. It requires a change. Nobody, no matter I'm sure your parents thought you had never committed a sin. Uh, when you were seven years old, uh, and they thought, well, my sweet little angel will never do this, I'm sure. But, however, yes, you've sinned. I got, I got, I got, if you, if you weren't uncomfortable enough with merit, <laughs> with merit, you know, I can guarantee you sin. So, it requires a move. Nobody just gets to grow up and stay there. It's full time. It's, you're attached. You're, you're connected. It's, um, I can't think of any way Again, all scripture is God breathed. This is the analogy: is the vine and the branch. Is it is that like an exaggeration? I don't think there's any reason to think it's an exaggeration. I don't think it's any reason to think, well, they didn't really mean like attached. I mean, I, I can't see that. That's why it's on the magnitude list here. I mean, it just it's it's completes the picture or, or continues the picture. It's a life giving relationship. Right. Good point. It's life giving. Back to how much credit do we get for our salvation? You know, well, yeah, but I chose to. Well, congratulations. You know, right? It's all dependent on Christ's love. It's uh, probably even more explicit. It's all dependent on the scriptures that says Christ is love. It's so it's the magnitude of abide. It's one of those words you can read it. You can read through John 15. I mean, we haven't hit we haven't hit a verse this whole. Uh, 
series, you know, all the verses that we knock out, these verses you've all heard a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, we're not hitting anything new. We're not hitting anything that's even that subtle. Uh, I mean, everyone's heard this. Everyone's heard it. They've even heard the translations with abide many times. But this is just a view, thinking through how deep this is really talking about. This abide, this is a big deal. This is a big word. And I don't see any reason to think that, that John is exaggerating uh, through his choice of words. I just, I just don't see that. I, I don't see this as anything other than um, absolute, full-time, always attached. It, uh, the last piece of this, um, tying back to some of the tyranny of things, things, where we abide becomes our identity also. Do you see that? Now, what, what does that what does that sound like? Well, what do we say? For the tyranny of things, there's three basic problems with the tyranny of things, and there are different levels of depth of the problem with the tyranny of things. First one is we just like things too much. We just like shiny, pretty things that go fast sometimes uh, too much. We like those things too much. That, that first level of tyranny, that is us using these things as a tool to win our comparisons against our brothers. In other words, and our, just the people on the street. We use these things. We measure ourselves. We compare. We talked about the comparisons. Through those comparisons, the reason we make the comparisons is we're running a race. We're on the treadmill running a race. We want to win through things. And the way we win that, we use the things as the tool to win. Because my things are nicer than your things. So I win. And you say, oh, that's not, what, that's not why I have this big fancy thing. Eh, that's, that's between you and God. But it's, it's a common way to do that. Now, I'm not saying all big fancy things are evil. That's, that's a whole different issue. We're not going, not going to get into that. But just, just now, what was the next level we talked about? We talked about with, regarding the things. The next level down was trusting on the things for our security. And that security, again, it's supposed to be coming from God. We're supposed to have that. That's the next level of denial that we bump into is we need to be relying on God completely. The, uh, and instead, we can use the things for that. The third level, what I think is the worst level of our attachment to things, is when things become our identity, right? Now, what makes that particularly insidious? Well, it's in complete contradiction to abiding in Christ. That's our identity. It's in complete contradiction to where our actual identity should be. So when, when, and we just all can adopt these things. We can be like, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't really like that, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, I'll pick on country clubs again. I don't really like that country club lifestyle. Yeah, it's a little fancy. It's fancier than I would like it. But, you know, I need to be there so that just for the networking with all the other CEOs. Um, yeah, it's good for me. I don't like that fancy stuff. But somewhere along the lines, maybe you became country club guy, and that's your identity. And you, that, that's, that's, you're the you're successful guy. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I've seen that. Um, that's not a good identity. There's nothing. I mean, that, that's just a natural result. In other words, that's different than the guy who says, yes, I think I'm better than you because my car costs more than you. Okay, we, just, we know that's a numbskull. We get it. We know that happens. 
but it's easy for us to say, I'm not that guy. But the identity problem guy, that's, that's more insidious. It's harder to spot. It's, harder, it's easier to justify. And it's in absolute contradiction to our understanding of what abiding as a, a branch of the vine is. Just, it's just in complete contradiction. On the handout, so we're kind of going, we'll go backwards. So we started at the bottom on the John 15. Let's move up to Proverbs 3. This is the one. You've all seen it before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What does that have to do with kind of where we're going? I think that's a really easy verse to miss the depth of that verse. It's easy to see it on a magnet in the refrigerator and say, trust in the Lord. Well, I do trust in the Lord. Uh, I think the second part of verse, of verse 5 is much harder to, to grasp and much harder to follow. And that's, and do not rely, do not lean on your own understanding. Now, tying back to denying what are we called to deny? We're called to deny our own lives in Mark 8. We've gone through that. I think it's easier to say, sure, sure, I would, uh, I would deny. I can, I can deny my life. I think that's an easier thing to say than saying, I'm going to deny my own understanding of a situation. In other words, I know, let's see. You know, there's a situation I don't like, I don't know what to do, and it seems like, you know, kind of maybe asking the old, what would Jesus do? You ask the, what would Jesus do question, I think, you know, I think that leans this way. But at the same time, my own understanding says I need to go that way. And can you really make that, can you really make that choice when it really comes down to it? Can you override your own understanding? So now, what's that... Are we saying, okay, so we're not supposed to think about things? We're not supposed to be a thinking person? I'm just supposed to wait around and be like, have God whisper in my ear? Should I turn left or right, the next stoplight? No, I don't think that's what it's about. I think what it's saying is, in the event of a tiebreaker, you go with God's understanding. You go with God's direction, not your understanding. Uh, I don't think it's saying do things that are foolish. I don't think it's saying ignore the things you've learned. I don't think it's saying ignore things that seem reasonable and prudent and, you know, um, and modeled by, by other believers. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's saying that at all. I don't think it's saying deny, um, deny logic until your logic is confronted with Scripture. And at that point, we're to lay it down. Absolutely just lay it down. Because we have his mind. Right. We lean on... Him, right. Not our own understanding. Right. And that's, the, that's a big tug of war all the time. Yeah. Right. But that gets back. That's back to Virginia's point of you're you're in that deep. You get it. You're, there's joy. There's there's rest, as she said. There's. I mean, it, it takes that level, and that's the that's the uh, uh, the big jump that uh, that we are we are called, I believe, um, to achieve, and I think that's the path we're called to pursue, and. Uh, if I'm not at the finish line yet, that doesn't deter me from my belief that this is the right pursuit and that I'm going to keep going. And uh, there's some success behind me. There's some challenges ahead of me. But because uh, uh, I'm not to the rest 
part. I don't have that wrapped up with a bow on it. I think I've got a couple of achievements over here, uh, but uh, not to my credit, not to my merit, obviously. But uh, but that doesn't deter me from from my belief that like okay, I think I see I think I see where this is going. We'll get to one thing next week. We'll talk about too. Braxton and I had a talk about this a couple weeks ago. Was that just that the concept that a lot of the Bible makes much more sense if you see it at this really huge depth level, the depth of these uh, the, the the high magnitude words of obey and deny and merit and abide. A lot of the Bible makes a lot more sense when you get that. It's like the high intensity Bible. The high intensity Bible makes a lot more sense than a low intensity Bible where you're trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah, it's a new translation. Yeah, the high intensity translation. The uh, call it hit. It's a hit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, same thing. You know, in a lot of the proverbs, in a lot of the proverbs, a lot of things are said twice. So in, I'll say it this way. In case you didn't get that way, I'm going to say it this way too. So just to make sure you didn't didn't misunderstand something. So five is Proverbs three five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Six, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll keep your path straight. Seven, do not be wise in your own eyes. Okay? Fear from the Lord and turn away from evil. I take the do not be wise in your own eyes as the follow-up to do not lean on your own understanding. I take those two to mean the exact same thing, and one's they're, they're additive and making sure that you understand that's what, that's what this is about. Um, the more you do rely on your own understanding, that means you look wiser in your own eyes, right? And anything we don't go to God for and rely on ourselves, that's I'm not only am I not leaning on God, I am relying on my own understanding. Why? Because I look pretty wise in my own eyes. Now, if that's not convicting enough, I also think the way verse 7 is written shows us what being wise in our own eyes means. I think verse 7 shows us, do not be wise in our own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. In other words, if you look too wise to yourself, if you think you're too wise, you have an improper fear of the Lord. If you have a proper fear of the Lord, and you understand who he is, what he can do, you're not going to look very wise in your own eyes. So that's just that's a side point. That's not part of the, where we're going specifically with this. But if that's just reason 173 of why you want to make sure you don't look, look wise in your own eyes. But I fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I, just, I take that. You put those two things together, understanding the danger of relying on our own understanding. We could go through weeks of application of what does that really mean, um, we're going to wrap up pretty quick, but I, so we won't get into the, the depth that can, but just think through the challenge. Think through how easy it is to say, I trust in the Lord. I think that's much easier to say than to say, and I don't rely on my own understanding. Okay? I mean, because you know, one of those is, just rolls right off the tongue, and the other one you just twitch while you're saying it because you know you're lying. You know, I don't rely, I, of course. Anytime there's a tiebreaker, I always go with God's, and you just like, all right, where's the lightning at? No, I know, you know, you're like, you know, we just, we just know better. Um, 
uh, and that's something uh, that's something to work on. At the top of that handout, so we had Mark 8. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The note right below that is a note from Bible.org. To bear the cross means the accept, to accept the rejection of the world for turning to Jesus and following him. Discipleship involves a death, a death that is like a crucifixion. Well, to bear the cross means to accept the rejection of the world. When we talked about the tyranny of things and stuff, that is 99% about seeking the acceptance of the world. In other words, it's not just hoping for the acceptance of the world. It's trying to buy the acceptance of the world. It's trying to manage the acceptance of the world. It's trying to ensure the acceptance of the world through things. Right? And the note from Bible.org tells us we need to, to bear the cross means to accept the rejection of the world. So while we're working down the deny list, so again, this deny in Mark 8, we just see it. And it's just so, it's just so, the magnitude of that word deny is just, is just amazing and intimidating and encompassing because there's no way, there's no way to try to make the denial sound like not a big deal. It's a really big deal. It just keeps getting to be a bigger and bigger deal. And now, from just this, this note, it involves accepting the rejection of the world. And it finishes with C Galatians 6.14. So that's what's right below it. Just a quick note. That one's, we won't get the full context on that. But it's Paul saying, But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, well, it sounds like we're not, we must not be very concerned about what the world thinks about me about us, right? I mean, is that a level of denial that you've achieved yet? Okay, not even close, right? I mean, that's rough. Again, it's, I see it. I think it's on the path. I think we need to get there. I think we need to acknowledge it. Uh, I think we need to, to monitor where we're at. Hopefully, we get better over time. Hopefully, our study of, like, the tyranny of things helps us to see not just that, again, back to like, oh, pride bad. No, no, no. This is so much more than pride bad. This is, this is the things we are searching for. We are, with those, through all those things, that's what makes it the tyranny, we are searching for the acceptance of the world. Whether it's through comparison or through our own identities, whatever it is, we are seeking the acceptance of the world. What do you think? Uh, I'm the parent of a, of, a, of a young kid. Even at a very young age, what do kids fret over more than about anything else? Is it grades on spelling tests? No. It's acceptance from their peers. Right? They don't know the word popularity yet. Okay? But they will. It's coming up. Okay? Social media today. What's social media mostly about? Popularity. Because now they can even quantitize it. Okay? You can put numbers on it. How many thumbs up? How many likes? How many this? How many that? Okay? Everything's quantifiable. The, the world's desire for its own popularity, for everyone's individual popularity, has never been more explicit than it is now. I mean, it looks, I'm old enough to see that it looks pretty silly, and I can see the folly in that. But the part I can really see is how that's absolutely contradictory, absolutely contradictory to accepting 
the rejection of the world willingly. Okay, it's just it takes us in the exact opposite direction. It couldn't have been designed better. It's like it was a well thought out plan. Now, what's the reason I put that longer passage below John 15? Talking about abide. Let's skip down now. The uh, we'll skip down that last that last paragraph that's here. John, starting with John 15 verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. But we so want to be accepted by the world. It's natural. So the point here is then, well, that's great. Now, how do we do it? We start by acknowledging the, the depth of our challenge the size of our challenge, our, the, the magnitude of our call is to go against all these things that are just, that are so wired into us. Yeah, 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 we know that. But at, at such a deep level, all the way back to just the, the, to the silly stuff, it can be little things, big things, identities, fears. Uh, the magnitude is, is amazing. Uh, just... Pray over these. Pray over these words this week. Just help God. Pray that God will help you to understand the magnitude of what obey means, and deny, and your merit, and abide. And just each of these is a word that I think they're all zero or a hundred. You know, on each of these things, there's just there's just no place. It doesn't even make sense for there to be like partial credit uh, for any of these things. And uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, next week we'll hit again the fear stuff, and again, not to be funny, but uh, I think that's the area we 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 uh, miss the most in. I know it's the area I miss the most in by far. I had a discussion about this with some folks here. You recall we had uh, one of the missionaries was in town, and uh, his quote from the the pulpit was that any fear apart from the fear of God we have in our lives is sin. And I told someone after that, I said, not trying to be funny, straight up, then I have a hundred times more sin in my life than I thought I had. I mean, I knew I had sin in my life, but if, if every fear that's, that's not the fear of the Lord is a sin, then, then I have a hundred times the amount of sin in my life that I thought I did. I think that's true, and I think that's our challenge. I think fear is our test that basically shows us in my case, shows me how much I'm failing at the, at the steps of this path the farther down we go, down, you know, really getting down towards the levels of denial, where you're really at. So that's humbling, and uh, we'll ponder that all uh, next week. So thanks.